Welcome back, episode 80. Ready to go, having a fun time. Um, so they just ran the lottery, which was 840 million. Actually, I think it, it crossed like a billion, something like that. And the big decision was like, hey, if you won the money, would you take the lump sum with all the taxes or would you do the annuity and do all that? And there were some really good jokes made about it. Like, well, you know, if you take the annuity, you're hit by a, a truck tomorrow, what happens? Or, hey, you take the lump sum, you tell your family, and then you just magically disappear. Um, I thought the whole thing was really funny. I was like, I actually don't even know what I would do. I think I'd probably just wake up and go to work tomorrow. Like, I, I, don't, I don't think my brain is programmed to handle that amount of freedom. So what, what would you do with a billion dollars right now? At a billion dollars right now? Mm-hmm. I mean, that almost pay off my school loans. So. <laughs> almost. <laughs> You just immediately just like shovel it to the bank and say, is this enough, sir? (laughs) If I had enough, if I had a billion dollars, I think I'd go like kick down Blue Cross Blue Shield's door, put him out of business. That'd be number one. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to start doing the evil supervillain, but the good guy evil, evil supervillain things, destroying like bad companies. I would call Elon Musk. I would, I would find his phone number and say, Hey, I'm now that I'm one of you, uh, will you help me? And I'd say, he'd say, what do you want? I'd say, I want to break the insurance world. I want to fix it. And he'd say, well, that doesn't save the planet. And I said, no, but it stops the planet from being destroyed. And he'd say, okay, well that's fair. And then we just go from there. Step one, get Mark Cube's direct line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, get really, really involved in the NBA world so that you can make sure that you can speak his language because you can't talk to the owner of the Mavericks if you don't understand basketball. Mm-hmm. I think he's very, I, I think if you did that, I think you'd kind of have to be on his level. And his level is probably a lot different from the rest of us. Like he's probably just speaking a whole different language than what we're speaking. Even with all his entrepreneur, like industrial experience, he's probably still just an absolute bro. I really feel like he has to be. He seems like it on the show, at least. He does seem like it. He seems like he's the dude that everyone wants to talk to. So Kevin O'Leary is kind of fun, too. But Kevin's out there. He's super out there. I follow him on a bunch of social media. and I I feel like he would be the most interesting person to have a drink with and sit down and have dinner but at the same time, I think you'd probably leave it and say, I have no idea what just happened. I just agreed to three different things, and I have no idea what they are. I think it'd be like that with any of them. I think they're just like thinking so many steps ahead. I don't think Cubes would loop you into a deal. I, I don't think he would. I think he'd probably just be brainstorming the whole time. And the other ones are well, actually, the other ones might. They're all very, very smart people. You can tell. I don't know. It, it, it's curious to me. Um, but... Well, speaking of that sort of thing, so I was, I had a thought, I was like, look, we need a way to measure real versus fake engagement if we're going to be making business and financial decisions. And so something you and I gripe a lot about is, look, we've got the world basically on a hook. We said, okay, the internet has connected the world and now we can measure every single gosh darn thing on the planet by numbers. We can do that. It's easy. Problem is, the story that those numbers tell isn't always accurate. And we've hacked the human brain in a bunch of different ways that has allowed us to make up fake numbers. So the where this is coming from is recently, I'm sure you saw, actually, you may have not saw because you're not very socially connected. There was <laughs> somebody on Instagram um, and Kylie Jenner and a bunch of other people, Kim Kardashian, all reposted it and said, hey, look, make Instagram Instagram again. Don't try to make a TikTok. We don't want to see videos. We want to see pictures of our friends. 
And the Instagram folks came back and said, hey, look, um, yes, but also no. Our numbers show that people engage more often with videos than they do with pictures. That's just what the numbers show. And I said, hang on, this is a great opportunity for us to come in and say, we have hacked the human brain. We figured out what creates the most amount of dopamine and what causes everyone to click on stuff. And it's not healthy, like it's not at all. We, we, we've calculated the formula that says, if you do X, Y, Z, people will click on it. And if they click on it, you make money. That's not a good thing. We've broken three systems in one fell move. It's really bad. How the hell do we measure real engagement, which is what people actually wanna see and find valuable, which to me is cooking videos and cute animals, and fake engagement, which is videos that are purely designed, or any kind of content that is purely designed just to get you to engage in it, for the sake of making money and like ad revenue, et cetera. I mean, it's all bullshit, but how the hell do we separate those things? I don't know. I think that's difficult. And but I agree with people. Like if I'm going to go to Instagram, I'm there for photos of my friends and that type of thing. I'm not there for the videos. If I want the videos, I'm going to go to TikTok. That's how it is. I mean, it's like if I need to put a screw into a wall, I'm not going to go get a thing of pliers. I'm going to go get a screwdriver. It's that simple. Well, fair, but even when you go into that app, so you don't often use Instagram, do you? I don't have it at all. Right. Anymore. You, it's all gone. Right. Because in, so the reason for that, correct me if I'm wrong, is because you understood that it took up too much of your time. And you said, I need to use my time studying and preparing for these things that impact my real life. I can't have these drains that I've recognized are addictive and horrible. Right. Right. Yeah. I've cut it down to like one to two social medias that I use in max 30 minutes a day. Prime example. And think about the amount of people who are not going to be able to recognize that and say, hey, this is an addictive drain on my life. It is actively pulling me away from the things that matter and that are creating value for other people. It's my work is suffering. My social skills are suffering. My family's suffering everything just because they've hacked my brain and not allowed me to pull away from this. Oh, yeah. I mean, people should really look at like on their phone, see what the screen time says at the end of the month. How many hours a day did you spend playing on your phone? Like that shows like how much were you on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, that type thing. You'll be surprised when that's at like seven hours a day, something like that. And you're like, how did I spend almost eight hours playing on my phone on average during a week? To Apple's credit, they have introduced a bunch of new features that allow you to track that. And so they kind of show you at the end of each week, like I get Sunday night every single night on Sundays, it says, hey, look, you spent X amount of time of screen time per day on average. And my goal is always to get that down. There's not always a way to get that down because I have to use it for work and I have to use it to keep up with people. There's just, there's plenty of reasons why you couldn't, but it's always a fun goal to just like try to keep it under three hours a day, which three hours a day is still sounds like a lot. I'm always over that all the time. It's like, when you think about it, like, when you're going throughout the day, it doesn't seem like that much. You're using no. mindlessly. You're going to the bathroom. You're on break at work. It's when you first get home to relax a little bit. But three hours of your day, that's a whole lot of time. That's like time for you to go to the gym, come home, read 50 book or fifty pages in a book, like all that type thing. Like three hours is a huge chunk of your day that you're wasting playing around on something just to entertain your mind. Yeah, I mean, we're only up, what, 10 hours of the day? 12? We're up to, uh, no, definitely more than 12. More than that. Now, I'm sorry. We only sleep eight hours a night, and then we're up for the right. remaining factor of that. Yeah, but even then, like, you take that away, and what the heck happens? Like, that's so much productivity. But at the same time, you're also generating productivity from the phone. I don't know. I, I go back and forth in this problem because I think it's really fun and interesting and also completely scary in every way possible. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's something you definitely have to pay attention to because that's originally why I got rid of it. I noticed I was like, okay, I'm not having time to do the things that I want to do to fully relax, spend time with my fiance, that type of stuff. And I was like, well, where's, where am I losing all the time? And it's like, okay, this is sucking up my time. We need to get rid of it. It's because you, of the lose, life and, you lose 30 minutes like it's nothing. It just, it's gone. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, TikTok, you got videos that are like a minute long, something like that. So it's like, okay, you watch 30 of those. Okay, you're done. Do you ever recognize it where you can actively feel the dopamine boost hitting your brain? Where like you're on something and you're watching something and you're saying, oh, like I see exactly what's happening and it feels really good and I want to keep doing it. Oh, 100%. It's terrifying. It's absolutely scary. <laughs> it's I, like I got to get my little fix during the day. It's like, ooh, yeah. Dude, the mornings are awful. I wake up and I do a lot of research into this and I find it very interesting. It's like you should get sunlight on your face as early as possible because sunlight's really good. You get vitamins. It helps... It's naturally good for your body to wake up in the way that we were meant to wake up, which is with sunlight, with exercise, with a good healthy meal to get your metabolism started. But you wake up and you look at your little cube that you're holding that's that's glowing your LED light and you feel good. And you're like, ooh, like, oh, it's like a happiness bump right there. That's terrifying. It's like an 80-year-old Cheryl getting out of bed, smoking her first cigarette, like, eh. This is fantastic. That's ex- I hate that you said that because it's exactly what I feel like. I don't smoke. I never have. I never will. But all I can think of is when I wake up, I'm like, I want my morning cigarette, which is my, I want to like play games on my phone or like look up Instagram or something like that. It's awful. Exactly how it seems. And that's probably exactly how it works in our brain the same. It's the same reward center doing the same thing. Isn't it scary how little we know about our brain? Yeah, it's kind of like the bottom <laughs> of the ocean. We know more about what's in the sky and all of Earth, but nothing about the bottom of the ocean. Well, that's the brain. It's just weird, dude. It, it hurts me because you're like, you live in that world and you don't even understand. <laughs> I just sell, I, I just sell warehouses. <laughs> dude, half the things that we do with our brain, the medications, the treatments, that type of stuff, they know that it works. They don't have no clue why. They're just like, this drug makes people happy. Why does it do that? Well, it does these things, but we're not sure how that makes people happy. It just does it, though. You know what worries me about that is that we've, and we've talked about this before, we have advanced our technology past what our brains can handle. Like we, We've gone too far too fast, and the human evolution has not caught up with it. We don't, we don't grow fast enough to keep up with it. Because we use a collective knowledge of people to grow our technology, but we're an individual person. Like... If we were building technology all on our own, we'd build it at our own brain's pace. But we've got a whole bunch of people. We've got a billion people in India. We've got 8 billion people total on the earth that are all working to do these things, advance technology, make the world a better place. And we just can't keep up with it in our own one little brain. Are we at 8 now? I thought we were at 7. We've been at like 7.6, 7.8, something like that for like forever, I think. So it's close enough. Round Elon round Musk has got... 0.2 billion of his own. Yeah, he's literally got like a portion of the population. <laughs> oh, that was the craziest story. That was the craziest story of the year was like, oh, he has eight kids and also his dad's 80 and still making kids. And you're like, wait, 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 like half the finance bros in the planet are worshiping this guy. <laughs> he's just a weirdo. <laughs> his dad had a kid with like his stepdaughter. Elon just had one with like one of the major C-suite people in Neuralink. 
just wild. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's as dystopian as it gets. And I'm like a huge supporter of everything he does, but it is it is dystopian to a T. Okay, but all right. So back what you were saying, I find this very interesting because that's a great concept. Is that there's like we can combine our brains in a weird roundabout fashion to do more by working together than we could if we were just working alone, which is super clear and obvious to anyone who's ever run or owned a company, is that you need the brain power and you need the manpower to gain scale. Scale is important. Scale's allow, scale allows you to basically draw down costs and outsize revenues, which at the end of the day, if you're a capitalist and you believe in this and you say, hey, we're gonna use money in its traditional fashion, that says, hey, we're improving more lives than we're hurting. But we have outdone ourselves crazy enough. I agree. It's wild. I don't, I don't know, but like, what's the solution? Like, do we, we can't, we can't force our brains to grow faster because I don't understand that. Maybe we just dedicate all of our time towards science and we, we dedicate all of our resource resources to how do we figure out how the brain works and then use it to grow it in future generations. I still think if we put as much money and time as we could into it, it's going to be a long, long time. It's a giant thing of jelly inside of your skull. It's going to be a while before you figure out how that works. It's not as simple as muscles and bones. It kind of feels like it. You ever think about like what the heck thoughts are? <laughs> it's <laughs> That might be too much. <laughs> it's little doses of chemicals and electricity that bounce around your brain. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of wild. And you're like... I mean, how do these powerful feelings cause people to act in certain ways? And the way that they act feels totally justified. And then we get all the way to the point where we're, we're spending money on things that make people feel good because they had an outsized reaction to something that didn't matter. And you're like, what, what are we doing here? Look, man, trying to figure out the brain is like trying to figure out macroeconomics. I just don't do it. Hoodoo voodoo for finance bros, as I say. Mm-hmm. So on another note, which does tie into this, they're releasing the new Mustang, the new design for the new Mustang on September 14th this year. Ooh. I am, I am irrationally terrified. <laughs> it's one of those things that like, you know, does not matter in any way to your life. And you can look at it and say, look, I am a working adult who has responsibilities. I wipe my own butt. I wash my own dishes. I do all these things. I am horrified that they're going to screw up this one little thing that matters so much to my identity. Like, what the heck do I do with this? <laughs> I don't know, man. The car world is so toxic. They're, I mean, they are. chances are they're not going to screw it up, and they're going to put out a beautiful render, and then they're going to make an actual rolling model that looks nothing like that. It's going to make you really sad. Oh, we've got a month and a half, so, I mean, we're, it's going to be a lot of speculation. But everyone said, look... Just do the exact same thing. Make it a little bit rounder, a little more futuristic. Um, add some more power. Uh, that's about it. And whatever you do, don't put a 1.8 liter four-cylinder engine in it. <laughs> it's, it's basically it. Just like don't make it weak. And I mean, I, I, so we're you and I are in the same exact boat. We're kind of constantly torn between we understand the dangers of fossil fuels and what it does to the planet and the ecosystem and we need to make sure that we protect all those things and this horrible just monkey urge to grab the biggest v8 engine you can find and rip the hell out of it all day 
Yeah, I mean, are you going to feed the <laughs> Tesla mind or the Dodge mind? I don't know. I mean, why not both, right? It's like my, my dream garage, as you know, is you've got the electric truck that can do everything. It can charge your goddamn house. It can, it can get you all around town in one day. It costs you 35 cents to charge overnight. It's nothing. And you've got that during the day. On the weekend, you've got like a Dodge Viper, like the most absolutely absurd, brutal vehicle on the planet that makes no sense, kills everything. But it's just so much fun. And the return you get from that fun is worth the damage you do to everything else. And maybe a motorcycle for funsies. Uh, you know, whatever. That's a personal thing. My question is, can we just pivot to hydrogen? Because it's, I mean, hydrogen, we're just using a gas. And we it's still an internal combustion engine that explodes hydrogen and oxygen. You get water as the byproduct. Can we still have big, giant V8s, V10s, V12s, and just run on hydrogen? And it still be good for the planet and also like make our primal urge to make explosions go and drive fast. I was talking to someone about this. I don't remember who it was. I'm going to try to remember. And we had a we had a deep discussion about why these are not as big as they are because they make sense, right? Like the output is water, which means you're act like you're taking away but you're producing. So it's a net positive for everyone. We've created a thing that we all need. And we've burned something that doesn't matter to us. It's an infinite resource, basically. I, I, I just don't remember what the problem was. Um, oh, I remember who it was. I'll talk to him tonight and see if I can figure out what it was. But it was, it was a lot of having to do with how we store it. And the storage is kind of funky. Um, I know that there's like adaptations they did in the past 10, 20 years of current cars. And a lot of muscle cars did this, where they basically put the new hydrogen engine type adaptation in the trunk and it would create, it would basically like, you'd, you'd have to get the fuel from a lab pretty much, uh, fill it in and then it would produce the water from there, but it would power your car. It was like a $5,000 conversion, which really in this grand scheme of things is not a lot of waste. That's just crazy to think. I, I mean, we have hydrogen, right? But Toyota's kind of cornered that. Yeah, I mean, I've even seen where there's a couple people where they've kind of like hacked it where to get hydrogen, all you have to do is do electrolysis. So basically they take a big tub of water, they stick a couple electrodes in there and you light up the electrodes, splits the water into the uh, oxygen and hydrogen, and then you siphon off those and you pump them into the combustion chamber. Well, you can do that in your car. You can put in these little hydrogen cells and you just got to fill them up with water and they supposedly increase power and uh like your gas mileage and that type thing but it's not like a super full functional thing it's just something you can add to your typical gas powered car i mean you have to wonder like we're we're kind of coming up on the point where we and we've talked you and i've talked about this before where we said okay is the electric energy vehicle is it the blackberries at the iphone we don't know yet no one seems to know is it the thing that's going to carry us the next 30 years in the future or is it just a fad before we find the best thing ever? People kind of talk about hydrogen versus electric in that term. I don't know if it's a fair comparison because I just don't understand it well enough. But everyone seems to be in consensus that internal combustion is bad. And that's okay, fine. It produces poisonous fumes, go for it, whatever. Maybe we don't do away with the process. Maybe we just do away with the fuel. Like, is there another way to do that? 
That's a question I don't have the answer to. Right. We're not engineers. We're, we work in totally different. I, I, I don't know. I just that that comes to mind for me. It seems to be the most efficient is just stop trying to get rid of everything and just do away with the thing that is causing the problem, not the entire process. Suck, squeeze, bang, blow isn't that big of a deal. Like we can do that as long as it comes up with something else. Right. Like hydrogen. Right. Making water. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I think that's crazy. You see the um, you see the White House said that we now no longer know the definition of a recession. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I see these things. It's unbelievable. Uh, it give me headaches. I swear. It give me such headaches. And but like the problem is, and also Janet Yellen's like, we're entering a new phase of a different kind of growth that we've never seen before, and I'm like, <laughs> Janet, baby, it's. It's a lack thereof growth, <laughs> and that's okay. It's say, fine. Is it going to be negative growth? Oh my god, it cracks Shrinkage. me up. But like, you have to, you know, that at the end of the rope, there are some smart people who are saying, "Hey guys, look, this is happening, um, and it's okay." And here's how we want to translate it. And then the politicians get a hold of it, and they're like, "Yes." Um, we have we have decline in revenue, which is really just a sign that we're going to rebound in the future. And I'm like, that one hold up is wrong. You need to you need to admit right now that it's okay to not have year over year exponential growth because it is. You don't have to multiply your growth every year. It's ridiculous to think you do. You just need to admit that maybe you're not the best thing on the planet, and they just can't do it. They refuse. Uh, they can't say those things. The shareholders would be very, very upset. Right. It's ridiculous. We've walked ourselves into this stupid-ass system. Oh, it just blows my mind. So where was it? I, I have it in the notes somewhere. i got to pull it. I think it was Walmart. or Yeah, Walmart's having some issues. Um, yeah, so they're having to basically deflate their prices to fight inflation because they're saying, look, most people are at a point where they say, okay, we don't have enough money to buy all the extensive goods. Like They're selling fewer TVs and video games and new clothes and stuff like that. And they're only buying things that really matter to the consumers. Food, <laughs> water, the necessities. That's what Walmart was originally for. It makes sense. Maybe we've overextended. Maybe it's okay that people are just buying these necessities. It's not that big of a deal. You don't have to like cause this nationwide panic to say that the largest retailer in the world is going back to their original vision and being, they're gonna be fine. They're gonna be okay. They're gonna liquidate. What they've done, they're going to reanalyze, and everything's going to be fine. Yeah, I think we, we're, we've been doing this across the board for a while, where as our parents' generation grew up, everything kind of expanded, and we had the department store era where JCPenney, Sears, Walmart, and everything, you could go to a store, and you could get everything you wanted all in one place. And this was ideal because, like, logistics weren't great, you, shipping wasn't two days like on Amazon. You wanted to be able to walk in and get everything that you needed in one stop. Didn't want to have to drive all over town. But now things are different. I can go on Amazon and I can order everything I want and I'll be here in two days. So there's, or I can go to a niche shop and get something that's really fancy. It fits my very specific need. So there's no need for me to go to Walmart and get a good that doesn't necessarily fit what I want along with all the other things I need for my day. Did you ever hear the JC Penny story? You're going to have to be more specific, so I'm going to go with no. <laughs> yeah, it is not. All right, all right. So did you ever hear um, why they left and then went back to their, um, what do they call it, like the, like the everyday low prices mentality? No. So 
for the longest time throughout the 90s and early 2000s, JCPenney had this thing where they said everyday low prices. And, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm getting it backwards. All right, let me tell it the correct way. So they originally said, every, they basically just listed sales across the board. Like everything in JCPenney was 25 to 50% off all the time. And that's what they put. They said, it doesn't matter what it actually is. They would say, this shirt is $45. 50% off retail. And they would, they would just stick that big old 50% off. And their sales were awesome. They said, okay, here's what we're gonna do. We actually aren't discounting anything. We're, we were kind of lying the whole time. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna call it everyday low prices. And they removed all the percentages off signs and said, hey, everyday low prices for everything. Same prices, nothing changed. Guess what happened? A lot less sales. People weren't getting the deals they thought they were. Massive effing drop in revenue. Enormous. People stopped shopping at JCPenney altogether because humans are so flipping slow that they just can't comp they can't comprehend that. We were so able to hack our brains and look at that and say, look, 50% off there, that's a great deal. I don't care what it was before. It says 50% off. We got to buy it. We got to buy it, Ma, right now, right now. And the everyday low prices totally failed. So you don't really see JCPenney anymore. It's kind of dead. They almost killed themselves. It's yeah. it's one of those things that what we talked about earlier was like you can, the human brain is so easy to hack in a hundred different ways. It's wild. People want to think that they're, that they're getting an edge over someone else, another corporation, whatever that is. So when you take that away, they're not as happy and they don't care to buy it as much anymore. Yeah. That's just why, like, they place certain items right up on the end caps in stores or with big signs that show whatever percent off because that attracts people. They don't need it. They just want to see that, oh, I got a good deal. I got this. It's mine now. It's like the same thing with um, – so I'm, I'm a sucker too. I'm not saying – I'm not better than anyone. I am an absolute sucker for this. If I walk into a Target, Walmart, Publix, any of those things, and they stick something right up front and they say, hey, 75% off, clearance sale – uh, it's a watermelon. It costs nothing. It's a it's a it, it is a dollar twenty five to buy a whole ass watermelon. I'll get it because I'll be like, oh, it's seventy five percent off, and I'm a sucker. Little do I know, watermelons actually cost a dollar seventy five anywhere else. <laughs> it's the exact same thing. They were just they they just had so much inventory that they had to stick it up front and slap a label on it and call it that because that's that's how prices work. That's what it is. It's wild. It blows my mind, but I am, again, a sucker for everything. So that's so why you got to be careful in things like Black Friday. Like so many people are like, oh, it's 50, 75 percent off. But like if you pull up a tracker, like I use Honey, which is the little add on for Chrome. And it tells you if there's any discounts or whatever or something. But it also tracks the price. And it'll tell you like, oh, well, like this is the same price it was a month and a half ago. It's just they jacked the price way up to cut it 50 percent off. You know, I keep saying this is what you get when you hack your entire economy and you just you just ruin the money system. Is we we I, people seem to forget that money money is entirely dedicated. It is a system designed to decide how we allocate goods and services because we have limited goods and services for the amount of people who want those goods and services. And nowadays, everyone's kind of like, oh, well, you know, I'm entitled to X, Y, and Z because I exist. It's a human right. I say, no, it isn't because we don't produce all those things. And it's, it blows my mind. You've got all these folks who are like, 
well, you, I, it's unbelievable that the prices are where they are. And I said, no, the prices are where they are for a perfectly logical reason. And actually, that's not true. It's not for a perfectly logical reason because we've hacked it and we've got a whole bunch of influencers that don't produce anything that also have a shitload of money. We've broken our money system, but in a traditional world, you'd be correct. It doesn't make any sense. There are just aren't enough. There isn't enough stuff for everyone. I also like to think at some point that I'm like, the people are getting smarter and the companies are just blaming it on the people for like why things are where they're at. And it's because people have learned the techniques of the corporations. But then like two weeks happens and it's like the people do something dumb again. And you're like, okay, the people aren't any smarter. They're, they're, they just caught on to one thing and they're still getting the wool pulled over on five other things. Jack Butcher said something like that the other day. He tweeted, he was like, we're getting smarter and dumber at the exact same time. And I said, I completely agree with you. Yeah, every time we figure one thing out, five more things like occur that we don't quite notice. Like you ever watch an advertisement and you say, oh, I know exactly what technique you're using here. And the worst part is it's working. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I, the Hulu advertisements are killing me. So I love Hulu. I'm a huge fan. They've got all the shows I want. And I'm super simple. I like bullshit, stupid shows. And I also like Netflix as well. But Netflix doesn't have the ads yet. They're going to at some point. But the Hulu advertisements are wild they, they they advertise like male enhancement products and dating apps and stuff and i'm like i don't like you're targeting the wrong environment here like I, you've got the demographic right but i don't suffer from these issues i've got i've got proof right here i'm in a wonderful relationship and i've got great friends like everything's going well my hair's not falling out everything's okay but like just the fact that you could go find these demographics and immediately advertise to me directly is absolutely insane and uh, the data mining i'm I'm so done with it. I, I can't wait till they figure out how for us to control our own data and its usage. Web three, baby. Web effing three. It's gonna happen. I'd like to see it, but the longer time goes on, I'm not sure how much effect Web three is gonna have. As it seems it's going to. Oh no, I give it. All right, hold on. I don't like that because it's only been really happening for the past five years, and it's only really taken off in the last year and a half to two years. It's not enough time. Give it 10 years. We've got it. We can do it. I guarantee we can do it. I just don't think we need to do it in a Web3 world. I mean, I think it's not any different. We just added layers of code to the world we're already in, essentially, and that made it more secure. This wasn't, it's not any new process necessarily. It's just something that no one has done because it cost too much and it was too time intensive previously. Yeah, but now, all right, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. You got it. Well, all I was going to say is that all right, cost again is a factor of what we're willing to give up in order to bring it to fruition. And what has happened in the last five years? We've all lost total faith in our government. We all understand that people are cheating at the top level and that no one can trust anyone. We're all willing to take the shortcut in order to get the profit. How do we fix that? Make everything transparent as hell. Yeah, I think that's the only major thing of it that's really key is the fact that it is transparent. We can tell who's doing what, what's going on, when things are done, so that way it's all recorded in a giant ledger. So that way, when certain people make trades after they sit on certain committees <laughs> and make certain millions of dollars, then we know what was going on, and we don't even have to have a court case to put them in jail. Yeah, because you know who's sitting in the courts? The people who are trading. <laughs> I mean, it's all the same ish, like... I, the unusual whales people just, I love them so much. You follow the data mining they do. I'm in their discord, all this stuff. And they, they straight up pulled this from the SEC's website and the information that they get and the IRS. 
and you can just you just look at it and you're like, oh, like I'm watching people make these fortunes off of breaking the rules that they're hammering on everyone else. Absolutely hammering. Why is this right? Why do we have faith in these people? It's unbelievable. And it's not even they're not even good at hiding it. It's, no. It's it, it's blatant. And I'm like, why hasn't Robocop kicked down the door and thrown him in jail yet? Like <laughs> they, well, because we, we are the people that are supposed to be fixing these issues. Because we passed regulations on RoboCop, which I am a fan of. I don't want AI running my life. I like to have control of my life. I agree. I, I, I don't want a RoboCop running around the next time I jaywalk or whatever else. He kicks down my door and throws me in jail or tosses me a fine. But I don't know. Yeah. It seems like there's a certain point that we should have it doing certain things like this. Well, but we're always going to find a way around it. You ever think about that? Like every single rule and regulation that we've thrown in our own path, we've found a way around in some way, shape or form. A hundred percent. They would just siphon the money to someone else. Someone else would make the trades. They would, it would take eight steps. But when you're talking about making millions or billions of dollars, it doesn't matter how many steps it takes to get there. As long as it gets done, if you have to siphon it through eight different countries, four different names, 15 different banks, they don't care. It'll get done. I think there's a class of people, and I think it's like, I, I want to call it like the Elon class almost, that they've accumulated so much money that they're like, I don't know what this number is. Maybe it's 100 million. It's probably less than that. It's probably like 50 million where you can you can do whatever you want. You literally could not spend this money faster than you're making it off an outsized bullshit investment return in the S&P 500. But there's definitely a class of people who look at this and say, okay, I have accomplished all of the goals that humanity can offer. What the heck do I do now? And now they're kind of just like playing around. They're like, well, what can we do? Like, what, what, what can we push forward? And like Zuckerberg's my favorite example of this because I think the stuff he's doing with the metaverse is that exact answer. It is, I have, I have so much money and money's the thing that allows me to do whatever I want. I am just going to experiment with all of my nerd dreams and see what works and like, screw it. Metaverse falls on its face, whatever. I literally don't care. I can still use all the money I've accumulated to force all of you to do what I want. I think that's what they have to do. I mean, they're so far out of touch with the real world and what everybody else experiences that if they even tried to create something that like really applies to the rest of us, outside of their own personal passions or weird interests, it's not going to stick because they just don't know. I mean, they have yachts that cost more more than like the income of entire states. Like it's wild. It's It's absolutely wild. All right. So I don't know if you heard they, um, what was her name? I totally forget. They fired the, uh, uh, yeah. All right. So the, uh, the original chief operating officer of meta, which was Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg, she stepped down after 14 years. So she's been working for them like since the come up. And it was because she didn't want to build products in the metaverse. It was she basically said just like, no, like I don't I don't believe in this. I I signed up for a social network. What you're trying to create is something entirely different. So they they fired her. They basically just kicked her out. And then moved thousands of people into their metaverse area of the company, which I think it's awesome. Like I, I, I really enjoy the metaverse stuff. I, I am a huge VR guy. I love it. I think it's going to change how most people do work. But I really don't think we should lose sight of people who are willing to stand up and say, hey, no, like this isn't real life stuff. 
This can be used to augment real life, but it isn't what we want. I don't know. I mean, you said she was with the company for what, 14 years? 14, yeah. That's a long time. That's a massive career. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a pretty long career in tech. Like, I feel like when you're in that, like, tip of the spear in tech, your lifespan in that field is only a few projects, five years, five to 10 years max, because it's just going to change so much. There's college kids that are out there creating companies in a dorm room that are going to blow you away from what you're able to provide for a company. You're a unicorn if you last more than five years in Silicon Valley. It's unbelievable. And the people who do get super famous, and we hear about them every single day. Yeah, and I, and I think, but they blow up and then they kind of, they're smart. They, they surround themselves with other people that are new and young and have the ideas to keep their companies alive and growing. They're not the ones that are still trying to lead the pack forward. Right, they hire, a, they hire an amazing VP who becomes famous two years later. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed. It is a 30-year-old Indian man or woman. (laughs) I don't know what the statistic was, but there was like an enormous jump in the amount of Indian heritage uh, men and women who were running, who were CEOs and COOs and VPs of companies in Silicon Valley in the past five years. It's incredible. It's just people who are so willing to work harder than everyone else and say, hey, look, I'm going to do better than you, and I'm going to take what you built, and I'm going to crush it, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. It's unbelievable. Like, you're just such a wonderful, the, hardworking people. The most positive stereotype ever. Like, we have the most CEOs of Silicon Valley, we're literally, multi-billion dollar companies. Yeah, we're smarter, we're harder working, and we're going to do more than you've done. Like, congrats. Yeah. I love that. I think it's awesome. But at the same time, it kind of does display, like, oh, we've, we've built this ridiculous culture of, like, you're just chasing the exit. And that's it. If you chase the exit, you're going to chase the stupid, like, what we were talking about earlier, basically like the like the false numbers. Oh God, I forget what I called it. Um, yeah, the real versus fake engagement. You're gonna chase the fake engagement to get the fake engagement, boost your numbers up, and then get your exit and leave, and then you're gonna be done. You've made your money, whatever. You didn't actually provide any value. Yeah. Crazy. I don't know. I think about this stuff way too much. Do you want to do the tipping conversation? I love that stuff. I would love to talk about that. Okay. You want me to lead it off? <laughs> yeah, dude. Just like dive in. <laughs> okay. So, so this is my little soapbox that I'm going to stand on. We're, we're halfway. One of the few just that I have it. that I'm sitting on. Yeah. We've been busy. But So I'm so tired of every single place I go to, every single sandwich shop, food truck, whatever else, I go and I pay and they flip the little iPad around to me and ask me, how much do I want to pay them? Now, as a tip after I've paid for my meal. Now, I'm okay tipping people if they provide me a service or they do an exemplary job. Like, I associate tipping with service things. Like, if you're a waiter or if someone's painting your house, mowing your lawn, whatever else, they do a great job. They get money because they provided you extra service on top of just doing what was you paid for originally. I paid for the meal, but you brought me drinks, refills. You checked out what I was doing. If there's any issues, you fixed it. Okay, you get a tip. You were also really nice. You made my day a little bit better. You gave me a compliment, uh, just like John did when he used to do this type of stuff. Made me feel better when I was eating the tacos and drinking the tequila at the restaurant. As you do. But so that makes sense. But now I go and I go to a sandwich shop and I get my sandwich and I pay my $10 for a sandwich, which is already ridiculous, but I paid $10 for my sandwich. And then it's like, okay, how much do you want to tip? And then like the lowest one on there is like 15%. And I'm like, 
look, dude, I, I already accounted for this. It was $10 for a sandwich. This thing cost you two fifty to make. Your wage should be included in this. You didn't provide me anything other. The service was already included. I don't tip McDonald's. I don't tip Wendy's. You're no different than that, other than the fact I stood in front of you when I did it, rather than sitting in my car. I don't know. I, I'm I'm kind of done with these, like, the fact that it's everywhere. You know what I'm going to say, right? Go for it. A thing is only worth what someone else will pay for it. I agree. And a little side note, I'm 100% okay. If companies want to raise their prices 10 to 20%, and but the like that 10 to 20% has to go to the people uh, that are working there, all the employees. Instead of tipping, just put a 10, 10 to 20% raise on the costs. I'm fine with that. Yep. Pay your people living wages. But I don't want to have to tip you at the end for something that I already paid for, essentially. You know, a lot of the Europeans don't tip. America is one of the only major countries that does it for like that did it five, 10 years ago, Europe really does. And a whole lot of the other places around the world don't. And now it's even worse than it was before. You know when it made sense? The industrial revolution. It made perfect sense when we were just an absolute growing country, when everything's exploding and you've got the majority of the population working in the service industry. And they're just like, you're, you're literally just waiting tables to make a living. That's what you do. You've got a family, you've got a husband, you've got a wife, you've got everything at home and you've just, you got to work every goddamn day. Made perfect sense. You say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to boost my numbers because I'm going to beat everyone else out. Nowadays it's, oh, you work because we need you to work. Like, I don't know, like, I still see there's plenty of use cases for tipping nowadays. Like, John, you've got tattoos. When you go get a tattoo, you're like, it's expected that you tip and it's expected that you tip decently. So but, like point to that, it's actually the majority of the payment. It's probably like 40, it's 30 to 40% actually for like a service like that, if they do it well. Yeah, but that's also like based on like, okay, how well do they do? Like, you don't really know how well this tattoo is going to come out on your arm. It's a piece of art. You're paying for it to be exemplary. They did above and beyond what you thought. Now, when it comes to my Subway sandwich, I could go to any Subway sandwich place or Quiznos or Firehouse, and it's going to be roughly the same no matter who I went to. You didn't provide me any service, didn't bring me any refills, anything like that. Why am I still tipping there? So uh, this is a fun side note. Did you ever hear that in Ireland, a court ruled that the, the bread that Subway uses is not, it's too sugary. It's legally not allowed to be called bread. It has to be called a pastry. I love that. That's hilarious, isn't it? It literally has, it has so much sugar in it. I don't remember the content that they had, but it has so much sugar that it's not legally allowed to be considered bread. And the, the, the point of this that matters is that Subway had to pay a higher tax per loaf for their bread because of it. And that they fought it so hard. They're like, Subway only provides, you know, kitchen fresh, healthy bread of all time. Um, cite Jared from Subway and all the horrible things that came with that and all his weight loss. And now they're in this position where they're basically like, all right, well, the science is back. Our bread's horrible for you, absolutely horrible. And I've been saying this for the longest time. Firehouse Subs, which is a Florida thing, Jacksonville thing, Sorensen Bros all day. Firehouse is the way to go. Subway, absolute bullshit. Whatever. It's garbage. It's absolute garbage. And it's just sugary bullshit. And so you look at these franchises that have gotten away with it. They've gotten too big and they've just filled their crap with we're cutting corners. It's no longer fresh. It's no longer from the farm. 
it's just we we've we've cut cost in so many ways that we've allowed ourselves to walk into this absolute manufactured BS that doesn't matter. We saw their tuna issue too, right? No. What happened? Okay, so they've been getting into trouble for a while for this. So someone started taking samples of their tuna salad that they put on the sandwiches and they tested it for tuna DNA. Oh no. And it didn't pop up like at all. Oh God. Oh no. What was it? Like no. what was in it? I don't know. I think it no, I'm not sure it's an exact perfect system because when it goes into making tuna and particularly this type of tuna that goes into tuna salad, like the canned stuff you get in the stores, there's a lot of processing to it and bleaching oh. it. So that way it's the perfect white color and all that type of stuff. So I'm not sure how much DNA should be there in the first place or the techniques that it should be done. But regardless, they had like no tuna in the tuna sandwiches. Dude, <laughs> and I so mean... they're getting a massive lawsuit. And I don't know, there's going to be a class action or something for everybody who's bought a tuna sandwich in the past five to 10 years. You can get <laughs> like 30 bucks back or something like that, I'm sure. It's unbelievable. Did you hear about the, uh, well, actually this isn't, all right, let me pivot. I'm sorry, before we pivot, the have you ever like looked at the chicken at Subway? Look, man, any I don't get chicken in fast food places. It looks that, like that whole it's a processed patty that they spray brown and put fake grill marks on. No. That's what I was gonna say. It looks like the grill marks are actually painted on. It doesn't look real. I don't I don't get chicken McNuggets. I don't get it on at Subway, I don't get any sort of that ground up chicken. I don't use ground chicken in my own kitchen at home, and I'm Me sure either. it's way higher quality than what's in these restaurants. Me either. Speaking of which, before we go on, have you ever heard of Pepper, the app? No. You got to get Pepper. So Pepper is like Instagram, but it's specifically dedicated to people who want to share the recipes that they make and follow people who share recipes and stuff. And I've had it for so long. I haven't posted. I've just been trying to get people into it because it's such a great idea. Half of what I follow on Instagram is food related. It's things I want to see that I want to like learn how to make and learn from it. But I just, I don't know, get pepper. And if you do follow me, it's, it's so much, I'm going to start posting recipes. It's a great idea. I'm literally downloading it right now. That got me very excited that there's a social media app for cooking. Yeah. Like screw the rest of social media. It's a horrible idea. in the way that we're all trying to celebrate our own stupid bullshit lives in which we don't actually do anything. Let's celebrate the things we create. I mean, Pinterest was maybe the first absolute version of that because you can control what you want to see and make and build and all that. But I don't really care about the majority of what's on there. I'm not crafty or handy. I just like cooking. That's all. It's ad-filled garbage, and it's been that way for a long time. Like Because my fiance uses it occasionally. I dip in there for ideas and that type of stuff because, you know, we're getting married. I'm looking up rings, that type of thing, figuring out ideas. And I go on there, and I'm like, it's just sponsored ad after sponsored ad after company after whatever else. I'm like, no, I want something different, interesting. That's why I got this app. And it's like, no. When but if I, they if this Pepper app is good and it also has like restaurants that can put stuff on there, I'm down. We don't have a lot of big chefs on there. Because I was looking. I was looking at a couple of the guys that I follow. And Gordon Ramsay's the biggest one. He's not on there. But if we could get restaurants is a great. That's Oh, God, you should reach out to them. It's a great idea. If you can get restaurants to post their re- to post their recipes on that, like their most famous dish, which I understand is like a trade secret kind of maneuver, which you don't want, but if you can get the folks that are creating these things and who can generate real um, scale with this, 
that's awesome. I don't know. I you know I so me as a chef, I'm not a good chef. What I do is I create things that are super flipping easy to make, and they're not bad. They're tasty, and they're not unhealthy. They're not the most healthy thing on the planet, but they're not unhealthy. And you can do them between the hours of 5.30 and 7.30 p.m., which is the hours that most people get to cook before they have to go to sleep because they got to get up in the morning and work. That's what I do. And I'm sitting here thinking, oh, I could like actually generate a following out of this. This is, this is something that's valuable to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of room for people that are making college meals, meals for people that want to work out and put on weight. Yeah. Things that people want to lose weight. You can create meal plans and all the rest of that stuff. There's a huge market for that. And companies too, I think the thing is, is there's a lot of people out there that are putting out copycat recipes for everything. But the thing is, is it never matches exactly. And companies will do that. Like I saw on TikTok forever ago, the guy was giving out a copycat Big Mac sauce thing. Ooh. And the reason for it is, is like, it's not quite the same as actual Big Mac sauce. And a lot of times it doesn't even matter. They could give you pretty much everything because it's not the same ingredients. These corporations have access to ingredients that are processed or different or imported from wherever else. They're very, very specific that we as normal people don't have access to. So they could give you like mayonnaise, mustard or whatever else, but it's like mayonnaise that's specific in this formula from Northern France and mustard from Southern India or whatever else that makes it taste exactly like it is. So you're still going to go to that restaurant and get that meal because even when you make it at home, it's not quite as good. But we should talk about the issues that come with the fast food industry. And Big Mac sauce is a great example because like McDonald's, I know for a fact, absolutely pushes so much processed sugar through their meals. They like, and the goal is to get you addicted. It's so you take a bite and your brain's just like, boom. You get so many chemicals hitting you all at once that say, oh God, I have to have another one of these. It doesn't matter how it actually tastes. If you could remove those chemicals, which we can't do because we can't hack our brains unless you're a billion dollar company, you probably wouldn't enjoy it as much as you are. You'd be able to like think about it and say, oh wait, like I'm eating like processed bullshit. This is not as good as a fresh meal. But you're getting all that garbage just pushed into your brain. And if we can find a way to get people away from that using super organic ingredients that simulate the same flavor without the brain hack, maybe that's a solution. I don't know, I just, I hate the fast food industry. I think it's awful. I think it's absolutely evil in every way. I agree because like the one thing I can never get away from is like, I love McDonald's fries. Oh my God, me and too. I, <laughs> like a large fry and a sweet tea is my thing. If I'm gonna go get fast food, that's what I'm gonna go get. But like. They're not good in any way, shape, or form, like, objectively. I mean, it. their texture is meh half the time. They're soggy. Oh. Their flavor is mostly just oil and salt. And, like, it misses all the key things of an actual meal, even if you get everything else, because the key things of any meal are salt, fat, acid, and heat. It's utter bullshit. Those are the thing. And none of those things are really in the McDonald's, but they have people out there that are literally figuring out, okay, we need this amount of oil, this amount of starch, this amount of sugar, this amount of salt, and it just tricks your brain into thinking that this is perfect and you want it more and more, even though it's absolute garbage. You know why? Why? Fake engagement numbers. <laughs> That's the theme of this whole episode. Full circle. It's entirely full circle. It's fake engagement numbers. It's, we found a way to create... We, we've created a way to measure the way that we've cheated. And if we measure how we've cheated, it looks good in the spreadsheets 
and then the shareholders like it and then we sell more and then we do better and we make more money and we go from here. It's all bullshit. It is bullshit. It is. I don't know. I, I, I stick on that all day. And so mine is Chick-fil-A. I'll, I'll admit that. I just, I allow myself and I'm, this is the one thing I'm really proud of in life. I allow myself to have Chick-fil-A twice a year. That's it. Once every six months. No more often. And I look for, I schedule out my Chick-fil-A day. I do it. Now why is this? Because it's so flippin' addictive. And so I would get a, I would get a spicy chicken sandwich, just plain spicy chicken sandwich with a large fry and then a side of ranch and a side Chick-fil-A sauce. And that's what I'll do. And it is the best thing. It is like absolute crack. It's the best thing on the planet. And when we were in college, I got a little hooked on Chick-fil-A. I was like, oh, okay. So I kind of got this every single day. And I started looking back and said, I, there wasn't a day that I didn't crave one of these meals. They were so good. And it's because even though Chick-fil-A has this perception of being better for you, it's not in any way. It's fried chicken and fries and sauce. It's all processed sugar, every bit of it. But if you, if you can realize what it is and sort of look back and say, okay, I, I understand what this is and what it's doing to my brain. Treat it like a drug. Not, it's not food. It, it is a literal drug for your brain. And if you can treat it that way, you can start to treat yourself and become more self-aware of it. So that's why once every six months I plan out like, okay, I've, I've been, I, I, I have not done this in forever. I'm in great shape. I've done a good job. I'm just going to have a day where I just, I, I get whatever the hell I want from Chick-fil-A. I'm going to get my best meal. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to enjoy every piece of it and I'm not going to feel bad. And I'm going to understand that it's, it's the equivalent of cocaine, but it's okay. I think it's also important we have these apps like Pepper because like one of the things is the reason we want to go to those places is because we, we, we can't cook as well. We can't have it taste as good for us because we don't know how to balance and create the perfect chemistry of salt, fat, acid, and heat in every single meal that makes us want it continually over and over again. Because a lot of the great recipes, they're gatekeeped by families, by corporations, by restaurants, by other people, that type thing. I mean, we all have those family recipes that have been passed down from generation to generation that are absolutely amazing. They make us happy every time we have them, but we're not going to share them to anybody outside of the family. If we share these things and we actually have these great recipes that are fun and exciting and delicious and healthy to eat at home, we're less likely to go out and get those French fries or the Chick-fil-A or whatever else because we don't need to. We can make something just as good at home. And I think that's the biggest reason I don't go out as much as I used to is because I recognize when I go get food from this place or another place, I'm like, not only can I make it cheaper at home, I can make it taste a whole lot better. The companies aren't trying as hard as they used to to make things taste as good, I feel like. Well, they cut corners to save costs. So you know how we fix this? How? Education. We teach cooking early. We absolutely have to. It makes no sense not to. I don't have any idea why we haven't. It's so simple when you look at it. You're like, dude, from late elementary school, the second we can understand what the hell fire is and why we don't throw oil onto fire and why we don't you know, hold sharp knives the wrong way and cut our hand off accidentally. When we get past all those stupid safety things and our brains are developed enough to handle it, we introduce in late elementary school, early middle school, all the way through high school, cooking classes. And it has nothing to do with 
making it like an out we shouldn't make it like an outside thing like oh yeah i'm taking cooking this year it should be like oh no you're taking reading math history and culinary that's what you're doing and it's it's a mandatory thing where you say all right i'm gonna go in i'm gonna learn what all these ingredients what they lead to it's not health class where you learn about sex and all that like what the fuck ever like it's stupid absolutely stupid how we teach those things but it should be hey this is why rice is an exceptional ingredient to any meal it provides little to no fat it is good for you it provides nutrition all this this is why chicken is good for you this is why too much beef is bad for you but beef is a it is exceptionally good at providing iron, protein, other things like that. Seafood. Seafood has its own uses. I'm going on a rant here, but the point is these are things we should know as humans that we do not know for no reason unless you grew up in a family like it. That's the thing is, is a lot of people think it's super expensive to do these things. and like It's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. Some, Sometimes it does take, like, you build up spices over time. There's a huge initial cost to spices or some of the different appliances or whatever. But you can make so many recipes with just sugar, salt, flour, egg, and oil. Pepper. That's all you need. Don't forget pepper. And we can throw pepper in there. I like black pepper. pepper on it. <laughs> black pepper on its own, it, it, it's an overrated spice. It's a white people spice. We really don't need it. There's other peppers that are better. I like pepper. <laughs> As a white person. <laughs> Black pepper, man. We'll get some like real red peppers, like like fresh that have been dried. Those are way better. But anyways, you're right. Regardless, there's like five ingredients: like sugar, salt, flour, egg, and oil. And you can make so much of those. You can make cakes. You can make pasta. You can make couscous. You can make pancakes. You can make whatever else. Just from these like five ingredients, you don't need a whole lot of stuff. You don't need anything more than a hot thing and a pan to make these on. But we don't have a society that's trained in the ways to do it. So in, uh, I don't remember when it was in history. I'm kicking myself. But Pad Thai was originally created because the government of Thailand said, hey, we are struggling. And there's an event this is surrounded upon. They said, hey, we are struggling to feed our population. And we've got some help from the U.S. government. But they'll only, they'll only provide certain things. We're going, to, we're going to design a meal. We're going to design it as the official meal of Thailand. And we're going to push everyone to have this. And so they designed Pad Thai, which is now known as one of the most delicious, amazing, flavorful dishes of all time. It is versatile. You can do 20 different things with Pad Thai. I love doing it. It's actually kind of complex to make, but... It's a wonderful dish. It's full of flavor and protein. It's fairly good for you if you do it the right way. But so the, the, the government did this where they said, hey, look, we want to make this the official dish of our country. And we're going to provide people with the means to make it. And we're going to teach our entire population, this is how you make pad thai. And you're going to make it in a way that works for everyone. And so that is why the Thai people are so educated in the way that flavors work and the way that you create these things. It's they're, they're exceptionally good cooks across the board. They've got fresh markets and their culture is reliant upon them being good cooks. It is, that's part of your day is like you literally go to the market and get your fresh ingredients to make your food for the next day or two. It's crazy, you know, no refrigerators, anything. Like you, just, you just go, you just have that and cook it every day. It's wild. I definitely say that some of the best cooks in the entire world 
if not the population in general, the best cooks are Southeast Asian. Yeah, and the reason for this is, is like here in the US and even in Europe, we we operate with very dulled down flavors. They're very basic. You can put a lot of them in there and it's not really going to destroy a meal. But you go to Southeast Asia and you're using very strong flavors that you're having to perfectly mix. Fish oil on its own or yeah, fish oil. You're right. Not you're fish right. oil. Yeah, fish yeah. No, fish sauce. Right. Yeah. Fish sauce. It's awful. Is disgusting. Yeah. You put it in pad thai, yep. makes pad thai amazing. Yeah. The chilies they have there are ridiculously spicy yep. and will burn you all the way through. But they can balance that with the fish sauce and the other flavors that they have, and it's fantastic. And yeah. they're able to do that. I can't cook Southeast Asian meals at all. I've tried over and over again. I can't get it perfect. Dude, dude, it's one of those things that I have to go out for no matter what because it's just so much better when it's made by someone who knows how to and grew up doing it. Because they literally study the flavor profiles. They have like they have they have like a way of thinking around it, and we don't. We just know that in Southern cooking, and I, you and I both grew up in the South of America, not South America, the South of North America. You add butter and salt to it; it tastes flipping good. That's all we know. Right. I mean, we don't have those exciting things, but it's wild too because you would think that like they only operate with these very strong flavors, but also they have very, very fine, detailed flavors over there too that like you don't get here in the U.S. But they make meals significantly better. Like, do you know what yuzu is? I don't. Yuzu is, I believe it's Southeast Asian or Japanese citrus. It's like a really, really tiny like lemon type thing, and you can make lemonade out of it. You can use it in sauces, whatever else. Very refined. But it's delicious and amazing and significantly better than what we have here. But it's one of those things that, like, you, you got to know what you're looking for here. Like, some person go have, yeah, it's just good lemonade. But, like, when you find out, like, okay, like, pay a little bit more attention to it. It's just kind of like when you taste whiskey. Like, there's more behind just the fact that it's, like, tart and sweet. You got to kind of look for the other flavors going on. Well, so isn't it crazy how being able to cook is sort of like a, it's like a personality trait where we're from and it's it's like a, oh like i can cook that makes me more attractive like it's 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 a it's a thing people see and say oh you're now more valuable to me because you can cook it's just fucking normal like everywhere else yeah man i missed out i should have dated an asian girl somewhere along the way like how to do this stuff <laughs> that's great all right well <laughs> i mean on that note, I'm out of whiskey and we're, we're running close to out of time. I mean, <laughs> how do we end on a better note? <laughs> I can end on another weird note. Do it. So uh, New Hampshire's having a crabs problem. Oh, my God. What does that mean? <laughs> so they have a overpopulation of invasive green crabs. And their uh, solution for this is to make a crab flavored whiskey. If you're interested in that type of thing. I love that. Find a way to eat it and we will get rid of the problem. We just can't eat other things. Yeah, the same distillery that's been doing this. It's called <laughs> Tamworth Distilling. They also made a whiskey flavored with a secretion of beaver's castor sacks. Oh, no. Castor oil is the stuff that comes out that makes them waterproof. So did they have like a beaver overpopulation? I assume. I don't know. That's wild to me. I don't. I'm humans will eat their way out of any problem i'll tell you that right now i mean that was the key west solution to the lionfish is like we'll just start serving it up everywhere yeah i mean those things are invasive species like just basically offer a bounty and say hey we'll give anyone 10 bucks to spear one of these bring in 50 of them we'll give you a giant ass bounty guess what we'll cook it for you and then we're going to serve it at the restaurant that way they and the red egg 
Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, after you. I was going to say, and the rednecks got so excited. They're like, look, we can get paid $10 per thing. You go out here and fish all day long? So you and I both know someone who took advantage of that, and I've been trying to get him on the podcast for a while, and he's been resistant to it because he doesn't want his opinions out in public, and I think it'd be really fun to have him. You know who you are, and you listen. <laughs> I don't Please think he does. Please come on this podcast and I'm, make bad decisions with I'm your gonna, opinions. I'm going to send him this, and he's going to know He's gonna know that we're talking about him at the end, and I will know if he listened to it because he'll text me. <laughs> You know who you are, Mr. Keys Fisherman. <laughs> All right. All right. It's probably time to wrap up. Do we have anything else? Nope. Nothing new. All right. Shitload of fun. It's a great week. I'll uh I'll catch you next week. Catch you next week.